0: Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. And if you have a, if you have a Bible, open up to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. And uh, whether it's on your phone or a hard copy of God's Word, whatever it is, um, we're just going to spend some time in the Word this morning. And um, we are just a few weeks from closing out our psalm series. And uh, I'm just curious, have you guys, has this been good? Have you enjoyed this time in psalms? Praise the Lord. Um, It's the first time I've spent a significant amount of time in psalms as far as teaching. So I've really enjoyed going through this. Um, And Psalm 130 actually falls in the middle of... Uh, a whole grouping of psalms That are called the psalms of ascent The psalms of ascent And it's really psalms 100 and, uh, 120 through 134 Is the psalms of ascent And there's some speculation about uh, What the they were ascending towards Some uh, speculate that they were ascending the steps to the altar Where they would have made sacrifice for their sins uh, And therefore would have been a song of the uh, the priests who were making those sacrifices. Others speculate that maybe they were ascending to Jerusalem for one of the annual feasts like Passover or the Feast of Booze or, or some of these more significant Jewish culture feasts. And there's still others that uh, maybe that believe that maybe they were ascending back to Jerusalem from Babylonian exile. And if you aren't sure what that is, uh, the book of Daniel takes place within Babylonian exile, where the whole nation of the people were uh, taken into Babylonian captivity. And it was one of the, uh, as you read through Scripture, one of the hardest seasons for the nation of Israel as they saw so much of what the Lord had blessed them with decimated. And uh, eventually they go back and they rebuild. But in the midst of this, uh, regardless of what they're ascending towards, what's really important for us is the recognition of what their focus is in the process of doing this. And so if you get nothing else out of today, <clears throat> what, what I want you to grab hold of and walk away from here with is the challenge to hope in the plentiful redemption of the Lord. Hope in the plentiful redemption of the Lord. And you're going to see where that's well, that's where the psalmist redirects here. And really, the, all of the Psalms of Ascent, this is what they're doing, is redirecting back to this place of let's remember what the Lord has done. And let's also remember what God has said and therefore what he has promised. And that's applicable here directly related to the nation of Israel, which is what this is written towards. But then it's also directly correlated. We can easily make that tie to us today as we consider what the Lord has done for us in Christ and what he has promised for us through Christ. So I'm going to read Psalm 130 and then we're going to just talk about it briefly. And my hope is that you will leave here challenged to simply hope in the plentiful redemption of the Lord, okay? And then we're going to hear then we're going to hear some testimonies of people who have experienced the redemptive transformational power of the Lord. That's the whole point of today. Uh, and so Psalm 130 says this, "Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy." for with the Lord there is steadfast love. That's that word hesed, love. And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Father, as we take a step into this, may you direct us back to the redemptive promises that you've given us through Christ. May you help us to understand the value that that is. And in the midst of the challenges and struggles that Brothers and sisters, and those here face, may we be reminded and remind one another today of the great wealth of knowing Christ Jesus. Pray this in His name. Amen. Now, as we think about this, and we think about really the opening part of this psalm, where it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. This is a, a place of deep anguish, hardship. Now, I'm curious. Is there, is there anyone here who's never experienced hardship? Put your hand up if you've never experienced hardship. Yeah, no one's going to do that, right? Because the reality is no matter where we're at, young or wiser, okay? We, we all have experienced some level of hardship. Maybe different. Uh, the hardship that we face when we are younger tends to be significantly different than the hardship we face as we go through life. However, there's a resonating here with out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, that should take us back to some of our past psalms. In hardship, where do we turn? When we're walking through dark seasons, where do we go? All of these questions that we've walked through the past, uh, past weeks in the psalms. And consistently, the challenge there is, regardless of the season that we face, where to fix our eyes Where? On, on the Lord, right? We're, we're to fix our eyes on the Lord because at the end of the day, He doesn't change. He lasts. What He's promised remains true. He remains faithful. And so in the midst of everything else that lets us down, God never will. So when we, when we stop and we think about that, though, we really tend to get stuck in between two chasms that hinder the truth from really taking root in our lives. The first one of those is people who say, uh, I'm good enough and God would have no reason not to save me. Okay, do you hear what what I said there? I I am good enough and why wouldn't God save me? And it might sound like an arrogant thing, but it's a really easy one for people to grab hold of. If you were to go and ask a majority of people, uh, "Why, if you were to die today, why should God allow you To be with Him for eternity. And the majority of people, to answer that question, would say, Well, I I think I'm a pretty good person. And that becomes their motivation to say, Well, why wouldn't God let me in? I, I don't see how I've done anything worth not being with Him. And yet, Scripture makes clear that if we go against what God defines as holy in any way, the slightest way, then we are unable to stand in the presence of the Lord. We're even unable in that to come come before the Lord and request anything. So that's one side of this, okay? And that's not the end of the story. Just hang on to that for a minute. The other side of this chasm is people who say, I am so horrible. How could God ever love or forgive me? And And... and People often fall on one side of this or the other. They either go I'm 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 good so God let me in or God there I don't see how you could ever forgive me because of what I've done. I don't see how I've ever good enough. And the simple answer is none of us are ever good enough. And yet the hope is we don't have to remain in our sin but Christ made a way for us to Because God in Christ conquered sin, if you are in Christ, you are a conqueror over sin. So when we stop and we think about that, we have to ask ourselves, which side of this chasm do we tend to find ourselves on? Because I believe most of us tend to find ourselves, even if we have known these things, on one side or the other. We either become too comfortable with who we are and where we're at that we don't seek the Lord, or we become too ashamed of who we think we are. To where we don't believe the Lord could truly redeem us. And yet the psalmist here comes to this place of saying, Out of the depths of my despair I cry to you, Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice of my pleas for mercy. So, he goes on from here and brings an awareness to sin. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities or mark our sinfulness... Who could stand? And this is a rhetorical question in the midst of this song. Okay. So if I, I'm i going to ask this question, I want you to answer how how you think the psalmist wants us to answer this. All right. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? No one. No one. Everyone say no one. no one. Okay. And we saw this back in Psalm one when we first started our series through Psalms where it says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment. In the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1, 5 through 6. So, in the midst of this, the psalmist here brings to light this reality that if the Lord simply marked and kept track of all of our iniquities and held them there against us with no hope for redemption, there is not one of us that would stand in his presence. Not one of us. Would, would be good enough. But verse 4 transitions here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, right? Amen. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now, it's kind of an interesting way to word that, isn't it? There is forgiveness that you may be feared. Why? Why would there be forgiveness that God would be feared? Well, at the root of this, if God is the one who can forgive sins then who should we be concerned of being accountable to? Uh, The Lord. If He's the only place in the midst of my sinfulness that I can uh, find forgiveness and healing from my iniquities, from my wrongs, then that means if I'm not right with the Lord, then there is not forgiveness. And that should instill in us a healthy fear. Okay? Uh, Not all fear is bad. And... There's an important reality that Scripture makes clear is God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Yet, we have to ask the question, if God didn't give us a spirit of fear, why does the Scripture constantly call us to fear God? Either Scripture contradicts itself, or it's a different type of fear. And what we really come down to is the fear that God does not give us is a fear of the world, a fear of circumstances that we face, a fear of others. And the reason for that is true for those in Christ, because in Christ, Romans eight says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans eight also says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is nothing. So there's a call to boldness for those who understand that there is forgiveness and hope in Christ. The question becomes, though, where do I find my hope? Our challenge for today is to hope in the plentiful redemption of the Lord. In verse 5, there's a shift here from the depths of despair to waiting on the Lord. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word, what? I I hope everyone say I hope. Now, you could answer the question any number of ways. What do you put your hope in? Uh, As you drove out here, every single one of you put some level of hope in your vehicle to make it. And to my knowledge, I haven't gotten any calls that anyone broke down. So that hope today didn't fail you. Tomorrow it might. Right? Um, When you went to sleep last night, most of you did not cognitively think about your body continuing to function the way it needs to function. And yet it did. That hope that in your body functioning didn't fail you yesterday. Tomorrow it might. So if all of these things that we look at and we go, I put my hope in this and it, it's, it's, it, it, it could go away. Is there anything I can hope in that will last? Yes. The plentiful redemption of the Lord. The promises of the Lord. So, Why does the psalmist hope in the word of the Lord? Well, three reasons. It's living and active. Hebrews 4.12 The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is true. Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. It endures forever, as we saw in Psalm 119, but even further in Isaiah chapter 40, verse eight, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand when forever. I forever. won't say forever. forever. Now, there's another reason that the psalmist here is calling back to a hope in the word of the Lord. And this really goes back to Second Samuel chapter 7 and what we know as the Davidic covenant. And, and if you haven't read that before, I'm going to encourage you this week, jot that down and go and read 2 Samuel chapter 7 because what you see is the Lord make a promise to David that there, there's actually a couple promises in there. One is one that's fulfilled shortly after David. In that his son Solomon would build a house for the Lord, known as Solomon's Temple. But the other promise is that the kingship of David would not cease. That there would be someone from his lineage who would rule and reign for eternity. That promise that God made is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Which is why if you go to Matthew or Luke and look at the genealogies of Jesus, there's significance that they trace Jesus' lineage back to David. Why is that significant? Because God fulfills His promises. And so when when these Psalms of Ascent, they're calling back to the promises of the Lord that make it clear that regardless of what they face today, the Lord will be faithful to do what He promised to do when he spoke to David in the first place, that they don't have to wonder about that. Through every season, we see David cling to the promise of the Lord, and this carries over to Israel as they're reminded. They remind one another of what the Lord has promised. Uh, it became even even a pattern of sorts. I'm going to read a passage out of Zechariah chapter 12. Um, Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 through the end of the chapter. And they, they call back to this promise of redemption. It says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weeps bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadid Riman in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shemites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. It's a, a forethought in prophecy. There's another passage in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. And it says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with him when I take away their sins. There's a hope here that's rooted in what God has promised, which is why our hope should be in the plentiful redemption of the Lord. Now, how many of you realistically enjoy waiting? You enjoy waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, our culture hates waiting. In fact, if you order something from Amazon and it doesn't show up in two days, y'all are throwing a fit, right? I mean, I'm that way sometimes. And, and so we're terrible at waiting. And yet... If our hope is truly in the Lord, then we're waiting. And if we are not careful, we become tired of waiting. And it, if we're not cautious, we stop fixing our eyes on the Lord. Of which we then fix our eyes on something else. Of which it will let us down. Hope in the plentiful redemption of the Lord. In the waiting here, verse 6, there's anticipation of the morning. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. It says that twice. You think about the watchmen standing guard in the pitch black of the night. That they anticipate the morning where they could see again. Why? Because darkness encompasses the night. And I right away was reminded of Psalm 30. Verse five, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Why wait on the Lord? The simple answer is because no one else can do what God can. So if you wonder, why should we wait on the Lord? Because there's no one else who could do what God already has done and what he's promised to do. The final verses here, there's a call to hope in the Lord. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast. That's that word we've mentioned a lot through Psalms. The steadfast, faithful, gracious, merciful love of God, all encompassed into one word. With the Lord there's steadfast love, and with Him, here's the plentiful part. With Him there is plentiful. Everyone say plentiful. There's an abundance of redemption. You know what that means? God doesn't run out of room. And he's made a way through Christ that all who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved will be. And verse 8 falls right back to that promise Israel clings to. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The Lord promised David that he will fulfill his promise. You and I have the joy of being included into the promises of the Lord through Christ. That's what happens when we trust the Lord. And so there's a call here, family, to hope in the Lord. In light of His forgiveness, in light of His loving kindness, in light of His Word, to hope in the Lord and anticipate the victory that we're promised in Christ. To truly anticipate that. As we reflect on these truths, we can stop and consider the other truths that tend to be familiar to Those who've heard these things before, we think of John chapter 3 and the call to be reborn when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. And the hope that Jesus brings when He says, God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. We call to mind the heaviness of Romans 3 that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet the hope of Romans six twenty three, that says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We hold fast to these truths. And so my question for you, family, is if you've trusted Christ, was that a momentary thing? Or do you continue to put your hope in the redemption of the Lord? And if you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ, my question is, what have you put your hope in? Because I promise you, your hope placed in anything but the Lord will fail you. And it already has. Every one of you have experienced stories of loss and hardship and weight. And so our hope is that you too would experience the joy of knowing Christ and finding your hope in no one else. To hope in the plentiful redemption of the Lord. And so I come back to those two chasms that we started with at the beginning. The person who says, I'm good enough. And I'm going to tell you, no, you're not. And the person who says, I couldn't. How could God ever love me? And I would say he already has shown you that in Christ Jesus. Who gave his life as a ransom for many. That we could walk in newness of life. And that's why John 14, when it says, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father. But through me, the way to lasting hope is through Christ, the very means of our redemption and the hope of our eternity with God, the father. Let's cling to that hope, family. Amen. 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 All right. We're going to we're going to pray. And then uh, when we're done praying, I'm going to have those of you who I've talked with about baptism uh, come up here, and we're just going to hear some stories of God's work in the lives of people. All right? Father, thank you for the plentiful redemption that you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for being a God who keeps his, pro- keeps his word, who we can find confidence in because you have proven that uh, your word never fails. Father, that your love remains true and constant. And Lord, that you still have us here, which means, as Second Peter said... You're not slow, as some count slowness, but patient, desiring that all would reach repentance. So, Father, help us to evaluate where we're at today and to find our hope simply in what you have promised us through Christ. A hope for salvation and eternity with you that we can cling to today and a hope of future redemption in the fullness of your glory, standing together in your presence only through the name of Christ. So, Lord... Transform us continually by the power of your Spirit that we would be vessels for your work and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.